0: If you got a Bible, if you do, turn with me to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And uh, we're going to pick it back up again. And so uh, as we get ready to come to God's word, let's uh, just spend some a moment in prayer here. Lord, we just thank you for your word. And uh, thank you, Lord, that we could spend time with you, Jesus, and... Our desire is to hear, Lord, what what you're saying, what your spirit is saying uh, to your church, what your spirit is saying to your people. We pray, Lord, that you would just open our ears to hear this morning, that you would open our eyes to see, Lord. Would you clear away uh, the clutter? I thank you, Lord, that um, the Bible says that your word's like a sword, got it. It has the ability to divide the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit, and Lord, we pray that that you would trim off the things of the flesh from our lives this morning. That we would uh, that we would be tuned up with regards to the things of the spirit, and so speak to our hearts. We pray, Lord. We give you this time in Jesus' name, Amen. Right on. So, John chapter eight. This is just this is an awesome chapter, and. Um, Maybe we'll just start with verse 12 again, kind of back it up here a little bit in, uh, to lay some groundwork for where we're going to go this morning. But it says this in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now we looked at this last week and kind of the question we asked was this, is how do you know when someone is telling the truth? And we saw that, that the Pharisees said to Jesus, they said, you're, you're, not like, you're not telling the truth. How can you say you're the light of the world? That's crazy to make such a claim. Uh, and you got, you've got no one else saying that about you. You're making this claim. You're making this statement. And how can you go ahead and, and just say that? And so we asked this question, well, how do you know when someone is telling the truth? And Jesus gave two answers to these pharisees who questioned whether he was speaking the truth or claimed that he wasn't telling the truth he said first of all if you want to know if someone's telling the truth you have to function with all of the right information and secondly you need witnesses you need a witness and when jesus claimed to be the light of the world that the teachers of the law said you're not telling the truth and then jesus said this he said i am telling the truth i'm telling the truth And he proceeded to point out uh, the flaw in their argument, the flaw in their thinking as they resisted him. And and for those who resisted Jesus, there were really two problems that we saw in the middle part of John chapter 8. Number one, like I said, they did not have all of the right information. They were ignorantly assuming things about Jesus. They didn't know where Jesus had come from. They didn't know where Jesus was going, but Jesus knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. They also didn't know the witness. That's what Jesus said. My my father is my witness about these things. And Jesus said, if you knew my father, you would listen to me. And so Jesus said, the premise of you saying that I'm not telling the truth is wrong. So let me give you two things that are going to tell, that when you see these things, these are two things that are going to define for you the reality that I am speaking the truth when I, when I speak to you. And so they were this. The first one, he says, the, here, the number one thing you need to consider is the consequence of not listening to me. He said, you'll die in your sin you will not come where I am going because you're from this earth and I'm from heaven and you can't come to heaven unless you come to me. So the discovering consequence will tell you that I'm speaking the truth. And the second thing he said is this, and the cross. He said, when I'm lifted up, then you will know that I am who I am. And so as Jesus gave these things Things that they should be looking for to understand that he was speaking the truth. John's gospel tells us, John tells us in chapter 8 verse 30, look at verse 30. It says this, is as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Love that, that's awesome. Because people were putting their, their hope in him. They were believing the words that Jesus said, though the Pharisees were resisting And so at this point, Jesus turns the focus of his teaching towards those who were believing in him. Those who were putting their faith in him. And this is where we pick up the story of John chapter 8. It's in verse 31. It says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I love these verses. These are like awesome New Testament gospel verses. And for me, they like, they, they help us as followers of Jesus. They help us define what a disciple is. Because when we talk about discipleship um, and the definition of discipleship, for me, I always think this. I always think there's kind of this broad sense of the word discipleship. And there's a narrow Sense to the concept of discipleship. And what happens is this is as you move closer to Jesus, he's like tightening the definition on you all the time. It it gets like more concrete and, and 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 it looks a little bit more like it has some structure and and what the actual definition is. And when I think of the broad definition of discipleship, well we know we know what it is. Like what's a disciple? They're a follower, they're a learner. Someone that's following Jesus, they're going where he's going, and they're and they're saying, Jesus, I'm looking to learn from you. You're the master, I'm the pupil, I want to learn from you, I want to learn what you're saying. And so, in the broad sense of the word disciple, anyone who follows Jesus is a disciple. But the thing is, is as you follow Jesus and you get closer to him, he does this, he begins to tighten the definition. No, 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 it's not just so simple. Yes, being a disciple is a follower, but but if you're going to come close to me, then, then let's tighten this up. Let me give you a little bit more structure of what this looks like. Now, this text tells us that many were believing in him, but I think, you know, their belief, there was, it it, it was in its infancy. It was maybe... In their, in their minds, which means this, they had the right thoughts about Jesus. They'd come to the right conclusions. As they heard him teaching, they said this. In, in their hearts and in their minds, they said, this guy's telling the truth. I think that this guy is speaking the truth. And I, and I just have to say that that is an awesome place for a person to arrive when they come to the point and the space and the place in their relationship with Jesus, when they say, this guy's telling the truth. Because the Pharisees weren't there. This guy's telling the truth. That's an awesome place to arrive. That's the right conclusion. And what's cool about it is that that's just the start when you start to move towards Jesus. It's just the start of the things Jesus desires to reveal to you when you can say, he's telling the truth. And maybe you've come to that place. Maybe you say, you know, I believe Jesus is telling the truth. I believe what Jesus says. And I got to just commend you for that because that's wonderful. Like that is awesome to be able to say that. You have made the right decision. You've come to the right conclusion. But here's what else you need to know. Jesus has more. When you like make that decision. You say yes. You're the truth Jesus. I believe what you're saying. He has more that he desires to do in you. He has more that he desires to do through you. And I think that these are two things. That that mark the lives of disciples. The things that Jesus desires to do in you. And the, the things that Jesus desires to do through you. And so in these verses. We need to recognize what is the characteristics of a disciple as Jesus is tightening the definition. Because it's like, these people believe in him. It's all right, I can work with these people. Now let me give you some more structure to what it is to be my follower, disciple. So again, look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly My disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So like I just pause and ask this question like what is the characteristic of those who are really, really disciples of Jesus. And Jesus says it's this. They abide in my word. Other translations say if you hold to my teaching. So if you abide in my word or you hold to my teaching. You're really my disciples. Uh, Abide means this, to abide in the teaching. When we talk about abiding, abiding means to make your home somewhere. Like to dwell somewhere, to make your life there, to put down your roots and to say, this is where I live. This is where I go for refuge. This is where I rest. This is where my place of comfort is. This is where I dwell. This is where I abide. And abide also means this. It means to to accept. It means to act in accordance. I, I act in accordance with these things. I act in the manner of one who, well, it's a disciple, I act in the manner of one who follows Jesus. I act in the manner of one who is a learner of Jesus. And Jesus is saying that abiding in his words will shape, we're going to see this, will shape the way that you live. That if you make your home in his word, if you make your home in his teaching, you're truly his disciple because then you're abiding in him. I love love the picture because the NIV says it this way, that that if you hold to my teaching, I like that. Because we want to strengthen our hold. We want to strengthen our grasp. We want to strengthen our grip on the word of Jesus. And that's what a disciple does with the word of God. A, A disciple is looking to strengthen their grip on the word of God. And so, you know, I think, well, how do you do that? And so I want to share with you an illustration this morning that's really helpful for me in discipleship um, that that shows us how to strengthen our grip. It's an illustration of a hand. Get your hand there, you got five digits on that thing, four, four fingers and a thumb. And there are five ways that we can strengthen our grip on the word of God. The first one is this. It's represented by the pinky finger. It's this. We hear the word of God. We hear it. Romans chapter, seven, uh, chapter 10 verse 17 says this. So, that, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so one of the ways that I get the word of God into my life, I, that I learned to strengthen my grip on the word of God is that I need to hear the word of God. I need to be taught the word of God. That's why Sunday morning is like important. That's why it's like important that, you know, maybe you listen to online teaching or radio or some podcast or something like, you you need to be hearing the word of God. It's important that because faith comes by hearing. You need to be in places where you're hearing the word of God. The second way that you can intake the word of God is this, is that you read it. So you, you, you hear the word of God. You, you read the word of God. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 uh, says this. Blessed is the one who reads aloud this prophecy. This, there's blessing. We know this. that There's like blessing attached with spending time in the word of God. And so we want to be in this place where we have like daily intake of the word of God. I need to be, we need to each have like quiet time. Because Sunday morning is not just enough to, to show up once a week and be taught or to flick the radio on once in a while and listen to some teaching. We need our own intake of the word of God. And so we need to be reading the word of God. The third, the third way that we intake the word of God is this, is that we study it. We study. Sometimes we're like in a small group or we come to uh Wednesday night, walk through the Bible and have some discussion, or maybe you're like doing your own study in a small group or whatever it is. Uh, Acts chapter 17 gives us a great example of that speaking of the Bereans who were more were spoken of as being noble because they received the word of God with eagerness and they studied the scriptures to see if the things they were taught were true. Acts chapter 17 verse 11. And that's like a, that's a beautiful thing. They did this. They made a decision. We're gonna study and we're gonna see if the things that we're being taught are true. Like don't trust me. Like I would just say that. If you're trusting me, you're making a mistake. You should go home and like study the word of God for yourself and say, wow, Matt was off here. Or whatever it is. Or he was bang on. Yeah, that's what you should (laughs) say. So, So when we think of the illustration of the hand, we got, we got, Hearing the word of God, we've got reading the word of God, we've got studying the word of God. The fourth one is this, you memorize the word of God. Memorize. David said this in Psalm 119, verse 9 and 11. He said, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Isn't that awesome, Maureen? I was thinking about all your little wee college those we college kids, they've been hiding the word of God in their heart. That's one of the verses that they learned. One of them stood here at the graduation and did that one. Or they did it as a group. So we memorize the word of God. We're hi- when we do that, we're, we're hiding the word of God in our hearts. That's a beautiful thing. Because when we hide the word of God in our heart, it does this. It leads to the, the fifth way that we intake the word of God. And that's this. That's To meditate. To meditate. On it remember Psalm chapter 1 speaks of the man who delights in the law of the Lord and it says this and on his law he meditates day and night that that's where his thinking goes that he's meditating on the scripture the Lord told this to Joshua when Joshua was being commissioned in Joshua chapter 1 the Lord said to Joshua, he said, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And that instruction to meditate on the word of God is actually, is actually this expression of a cow chewing its cud. So we know a A cow has four stomachs so they regurgitate, up it comes, they chew the cud and they break it down some more and then down it goes and their stomach digests it and gets some more nutrients out of it and then up it comes again and they chew it over in its mouth and down it goes again and this process repeats, repeats, repeats until that cow's broken it all down and squeezed every last drop of nutrients out of it. And the Lord said to Joshua, that's what you do with the word of God. You meditate on it day and night, like a you just keep it in your mouth so that you can chew it, so that you can break it down, so that you can pull out all of the nutrients from, from the word of God. If you're really my disciples, you abide in my teaching. That's what Jesus said. You hold to my teaching. And so we, we hold to the word of God through hearing the word of God, through reading the word of God, through studying the word of God, through memorizing the word of God, by meditating on the word of God. And when I've got a healthy expression of all of those in my life, this is what happens. I get a grip on the word of God. If you got your Bible, you got your Bible for a second? Just put it on your lap. You can close it for a minute. Here's what I want you to do. Just a fun little exercise. Pick that Bible up with your pinky finger. Come on. Try it. Everybody, try it. Let's go. We can have some fun in church. Can you do it? No. No. That's what happens if you've only got hearing. If you've only got hearing, imagine having all the rest of these cut off and how useless is this hand and your ability to grip much. Problem is, there's no strength in a hand like that. But let's go two fingers. Can you pick it up? Okay, third finger, add study. Okay, add the fourth finger. Okay, you know what I can do? I can do this, but you know what the scripture says about the devil? What does the devil desire to do? He wants to snatch. He's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to snatch the word of God out of your hands. That's why we need to meditate. Get a grip on that thing, squeeze it. Devil wants to steal the word of God out of your hand, Ernie. You gotta hold on to it. You gotta learn to hold on to the word of God. And so Jesus said, if you're my disciples, you hold to my teaching. You abide. You know, when I when I was growing up playing hockey. We would, we would do this, you know, you'd skate through the drill that the coach would have you doing and then you'd rotate back into your spot and line and wait for another opportunity to go through the drill. But what you would do is this, is when you're, when you're, when you're coming in on the drill, you'd take your hockey stick and you'd slash the guy in front of you every time. I mean, it's just what we did because you were trying to knock the stick out of his hand. Because if that player wasn't holding on to their stick, boom, it was on the ice and you could laugh at them. And it was kind of like this practical way where you learn. You hold on to your stick. You better put your grip on that stick or it's going to get knocked out of your hands. Now, they don't do that anymore because the sticks are like 300 bucks a pop. Uh, But it was a good way to learn you got to hold on to your hockey stick if you're going to battle in hockey. And if you're going to be my disciple, Jesus said, you have to hold to my teaching. You're really my disciples. And then he says this. If you do that, the result is this. First of all, you'll really be my disciples, but then also this. You will know the truth. You will know the truth. Now that's interesting to me because that means that knowledge is conditioned. It's, It's dependent upon my hanging On to the word of God. It's conditioned by this principle. That you abide in his teaching. That you hold to the teaching of Jesus. This means that that for a disciple of Jesus. Spiritual revelation actually precedes uh, knowledge. Which is interesting. Because he says you hold. And then you'll know. You'll hold to my teaching. And then you'll know that it's true. And it's interesting because John's gospel has been telling us this all the way through, all, all along, that it's I believe and then I know. It's not I know and therefore I believe. It's faith comes first. I believe in order that I will understand. I trust Jesus and what happens? Jesus brings understanding to the things I don't understand. And we've seen this principle repeated throughout John. And people, people have this tendency to say, well, well, if I see it, then I'll believe it. But John's gospel continues to tell us this theme and this heart, that spiritual revelation is actually that principle in reverse. That if you believe, then you'll see. If you hold on to, then you will know. Hold to my teaching and you will know the truth and Jesus says this will happen. The truth will set you free. In fact, two things are are, are going to happen with regards to this, but Calvin, you can throw that up on, on the screen there that first the second slide actually you can jump right to that s- second slide. We'll tackle these one at a time, but two things will happen if you hold to the teaching of Jesus. Number one is this. You will know true freedom. You'll know true freedom. If you abide in the teaching of Jesus, if you continue in it, if you live in it, if you hold to it, if you obey it, then you will really be free. But when the Pharisees heard Jesus say this, look at what they said, verse 33. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So here's the, here's the problem for the Pharisees. They said, what are you talking about? Freedom. We're sons of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. I mean, the problem was this. They didn't understand true freedom, actually. They didn't understand what freedom, the freedom that Christ brings. They didn't didn't truly understand what freedom was. They had a different concept of what it meant to be free. They said, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Which is kind of strange, because apparently they forgot slavery in the land of Egypt apparently they forgot that they were oppressed by the thrum of Rome at that very moment I mean they forgot Assyria they forgot Babylonians they forgot the Philistines they forgot I mean the Midianites I mean they forgot the whole Old Testament and the book of Judges when they made that statement I don't know what they're talking about we've never been enslaved to anyone apparently they forgot that their forefathers regularly had to cry out to the Lord and say God you got to set us free from those who are oppressing us, those to whom we've become enslaved. Their their oppressive hand is weighing us down, these enemies, and Lord, we need you to set us free. They forgot about all that. They said, we're we're descendants of Abraham and we think we're free. And Jesus said, basically this, you only think you're free, but everyone who sins is actually a slave. To sin. I I think about. What they're saying with regards to freedom. The the Pharisees and I think our culture. Has this exact same messed up definition of freedom. They think they're free. The world thinks that it's free. We think freedom is this. Freedom means I do whatever I want. Don't tell me. That's like freedom. I'm like a sovereign. Person. I make my own decisions. Don't tell me what to do and therefore I am free. I will do what I want. But it's interesting, Jesus says this, that nobody who sins, nobody who does wrong is actually free. That that freedom to do what you want is actually the path to slavery. It's the road to slavery and Jesus says that person is not free. You're not free, he says to them. You know, someone says this, I want to be free to be me. I want to be free to do whatever I want. And it's interesting because when Jesus talks about slavery, I mean, slavery is an awful thing. Slavery is an awful thing, but do you know the most horrific state of slavery is not inflicted from the outside. It's inflicted from the inside. Slavery to sin. It's about a sin. Jesus said, "A man is a slave to whatever has mastered him." You, you know, I go. I think, well, what's what's mastered me? What's mastered you? What's mastered? I mean, what consumes your thoughts? What consumes your time? What consumes your money? What's your? Who's your master? What's your? What has mastery over you? And our culture preaches that freedom is this. Freedom's you do what you want. You go do whatever you want. And so, you know what people do? They go. They go and they do whatever they want, and they soon discover that whatever they're doing gets a grip on them and it becomes the master of them. It's like, oh, I'll just do this for a little bit, mess around here, get involved with this. And soon, they're enslaved. They're enslaved. Becomes the master. What's gripping you? Interesting picture Jesus is using. Holding my teaching. What's got its grip on you? What's enslaved you? What's the thing you can't break free from? You can't break its power. Can't break its power. I'm saying this morning that Jesus breaks chains. Jesus says this, abide in my teaching. Strengthen your grip on my word. Hold on to it and don't let go and the truth will set you free. What's well, a powerful principle here of discipleship. See, we're all slaves to sin, but only the disciple of Jesus, only disciples of Jesus have the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to sin, to say no to temptation. Only the Christian has the power to choose good, and that happens as we hold to the teaching of Jesus. We pick truth over falsehood. Christ sets us free. So, verse 37 says this Jesus answers them, I know you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. It's interesting that the problem that the Pharisees had actually came down to this. Jesus said, The problem is, my word has no place in you. The opposite of a disciple. You're not gripping to my word. You're not tightening your grip. You're not abiding in my teaching. The problem is you have no use for my word. It has no place in you. My disciples have to hold to my word. Verse 38, he says, I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. So Jesus says another issue that's between us is this. We're both doing what we've seen from our fathers, We're reflecting our fathers. I'm reflecting my father. I'm doing what my father says, and you're doing what your father says. So they answered him, Abraham is our father. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who's told you the truth that I've heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord. But he sent me. It's interesting this whole conversation of fatherhood comes up. It came up in the text last week that we were wrestling through. In the earlier part of this teaching from Jesus. The question of fatherhood. When Jesus spoke about freedom. They said to Jesus. They said we've never been slaves to anyone. Because Abraham is our father. And and they made the assumption that being a physical descendant. Of Abraham somehow meant an equivalency that it equaled for them. That they shared in Abraham's spiritual identity. That they, they shared in his character. They, they, they assumed that physical descent meant they, got, they inherited the heritage of Abraham. Which was true. But they had to enter into that personally themselves. We said this way. God doesn't have grandchildren. God has children. Not grandchildren. And Jesus pointed out this. That their murderous hatred toward him was totally the opposite of the heart attitude that Abraham packed. It Was the opposite of Abraham's life and faith. Their heart attitude pointed more to the fact that they were children of the devil. As Jesus is going to identify them here. With whom they shared murderous hatred towards the son of God. Jesus, Jesus said this to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd act like Abraham. You, you think that God is your father? Because they said God's our father. Well, if God were your fa- was your father, you would love his son. It's interesting. It's like, have you ever met people that like knew your dad and they like loved your dad? They're like, oh, yeah, I know your dad. My, dad's, uh, my dad worked at the pulp mill for like 30 years. And, and all I have to say is, oh, do you know Brad the brush? <laughs> and they go, oh, yeah, I know your dad. Your dad's a really hard worker. And they'll say things like that right off the hop. And there's like this affinity. Automatically, someone says, oh, I like this person because I like their father. They assume upon you the identity and the character and the nature and the personality and the habits of your father. Like, oh, okay, this guy's legit. Or if if they think your dad's a jerk, well then, <laughs> not good. They've written you off right away. You're like, oh, well, may as well go apply for a job somewhere else, right? Or whatever it is. Jesus said this, that if, God is your father. The proof is this. You will love his son. Interesting. You'll love his son. That's the proof if someone's a child of God. Like if you ever get in these discussions, when I was thinking about this text, it makes me think of like cult groups that deny the deity of Jesus. You know, if a person is a child of God, they will do this. They will love Jesus They will love what he says. They will love what he does. And they will want to follow Jesus. That's proof that they love God. And if a person doesn't love Jesus, if they don't do what Jesus says, then straight up, Jesus says, they are not a child of God. Which is crazy to me because, you know, we have this like, we have this thinking that people are automatically children of God. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we're made in the image of God. We've been seeing in this text already that God is, Jesus is from heaven and men are from earth. We're made of the dust. We're not automatically as children. That's not biblical. We're made in his image, but we're from the dust of the earth and he is from heaven. And your attitude towards his son tells you your attitude towards the son, Jesus, tells you who your father is. Either as Jesus, either as Jesus reveals here with the Pharisees, either you're, you're a child of the devil or you're a child of God. And it all comes down to what you do with Jesus, how you respond to Jesus. And as I think about that, I think, wow, man, people need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear about the great love of God that God has for people. That he's made in his image and he desires to redeem them from that which separates them from him. The Bible tells us the father so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son. He only has one son. And he gave up that son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The father has one son. His name is Jesus. But because the father loves us, he sent Jesus to save us from slavery to sin. We know this, the wages of sin is death, and Jesus went in our stead, in our place, to the cross, and he bore our sins in his body, on that tree, And because he was the perfect son of God, though he died, God raised him from the dead. Death could not hold him down. He was raised from the dead never to die again. And if we believe that Jesus is the son of God, he will give us eternal life. And then what happens? We get adopted into the family of God. We get adopted into the father's family. The father bestows upon us the identity of his, of his child. It's interesting because the Pharisees were reflecting their father. That's what Jesus said. The devil, hatred, lies, murder. And so for me, when I think about this, this instruction from Jesus, if, if you're truly my disciples, then you'll hold to my teaching. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's the first thing that happens for those who are truly disciples of Jesus, the truth will set you free. But the second is this, you will reflect God's fatherhood. You will reflect your father. You'll love Jesus and the character of God will begin to come through in your life. In verse 43, Jesus says this, Why do you not understand what I say? it's because you cannot bear to hear my word wow again the problem their hatred for the Word of God verse 44 you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him when he lies He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you, this is an important question, verse 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Wow, man. It's like, it's like heavy. I read this and it's heavy, but, it, but I also think that I think there's compassion in the voice of Jesus as he, as he says these things. And Jesus says, says this to these men. He says, I, I find fault in you. You're just like your father. You're just like him. You lie. You twist the truth. You hate me. You desire to kill me. That's what the devil wants to do. And then he asks this question, which one of you convicts me of sin? Who of you can find anything wrong with me? And it's interesting, what's the answer? There is no answer. There's no reply. There's no answer because there's nothing to say. I mean, Jesus is without sin. He's speaking, he's speaking the truth. He's, he's saying, I, I'm telling you the truth and you're calling me a liar. And so with no reply, they resort to name calling. That's what happens here. Look at verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. And so they they just resort to this like cheap way of trying to discredit Jesus that's unfounded and true. You're a Samaritan, you have a demon. Look at verse 51. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. I mean, look at Jesus isn't arguing with them, he's pleading with them. He's pleading. He's telling them, if you will simply receive me, if you will simply receive what I say, if you will accept what I'm saying, you will never see death. That's amazing. Instead of separation, death, instead of separation from physical life, instead of separation from eternal life, Jesus says this, I'll change the reality of death. It'll be a transformation. Scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You close your eyes in this life and you'll open, you'll open them in the next. And you'll be with me where I am. With my father in heaven. You'll be where Jesus is. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see, see death. So they said to him, verse 52, the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? We just see the conflicts just growing. And it's like they're saying this, oh, we got you now, truth teller. You told a lie. You're you're a liar, Are you greater than Abraham? It's the height of sarcasm. We know he died. We know all the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are anyways? Who do you think you are, Jesus? You can hear the voice of the devil there. That's what I think. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, verse 54. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? It's uh, a good question. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You see it? Wow. I mean, we touched base on this last week, verse 24 and 28. Jesus said the same thing I am. He's declaring to them as clearly as absolutely possible that he is God. That he is God. He's he's identifying exactly, we talked about this last week, with the story of Moses and the revelation of God to Moses. when, when, When Moses asked the Lord, if you're sending me back to Egypt, who do I say has sent me? When I go to these people, the Lord said, you tell them, I am who I am. Has sent you. It's amazing because when we talk about Jesus, and again, we talked about this last week. That's why this is kind of a part two message. The most important thing that Jesus ever taught was about what? Himself. About Himself, that He was the focus of the majority of His teaching. He was speaking about Himself, His identity, His character, His nature. And His teachings about Himself can be summed up. In verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. I am. Clear claim to deity and those who heard him there knew it. There was no question they knew exactly what Jesus was saying that he was claiming to be God. And how do we know it? Because look at verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and he went out of the temple. It's interesting, it's like the last resort of defeated men is what? Violence. And chapter nine tells us where Jesus went. He left there and you know what he did? He went and he found a blind man. I like that because it's you and me. That's a picture of you and me. He went and found people who could not see. And so here in this text we see just this the height of the confrontation, I mean, it's just going to keep, keep growing. And we're approaching the, the, uh, the story of the, of the cross. And here Jesus makes this, this clear, clear claim. I am God. I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And as I think about this text, the call is this. The call from Jesus is this. If you're really my disciple, if you're really my follower, if you're really one who desires to learn of me, if you really are in relationship with me, then you have to do this. You make, my home, you make your home in my word. You abide in my teaching. You hold on to my teaching. And Jesus says two things will happen if you do this. Number one, the truth will set you free. You will know true freedom. God will just, he's the chain breaker. Jesus will break chains in your life. And the second thing is this, you will reflect God's fatherhood. You'll love Jesus. you'll, You'll love Jesus because he's the son of the father and you'll reflect the nature of your father. Great text, great challenge, great call for us to be disciples.